My name is Jay Mantis. Thank you very much for listening to our show. We're glad to have you here. We're in the middle of our 2016 album series, No Album Left Behind. And this week we're talking about Counterparts, which is among uh, the three albums that are in my three-way tie that I have for my favorite album. So this should be fun for me. And all of you, because um, I'm good. if you don't think it's a great album, I'm going to try to convince you that it is. Before we get into Counterparts... Uh, we'll do a brief uh, follow-up on Roll the Bones, and uh, we've been getting we've been getting better at Twitter, where uh, we're we're having like one hashtag per episode to get people talking about one thing that comes out of the episode. It was the Hold Your Fire support group for for Hold Your Fire, um, for example. Last week we did hashtag Face Up Love. I wanted to see who, if anyone could show some love for that song because I had never come across anyone who liked it or thought it was anything but their worst song ever. So it took a few days of, of, you know, kind of encouraging people on Twitter to, to uh, voice their opinion. But I did find a nice group of uh, like a nice collection of listeners that enjoy that song, which was nice to hear. I think what we miss, or I guess what, what it is about face up it's it's just a little too i don't know i'm not gonna speak for you guys i i think it's good tune i found other people who who liked it uh so so thank you and a lot of people <laughs> use the hashtag and still were like oh it's not my favorite or i still don't like it or whatever but it's cool that we're just talking about it you know it's interesting i i had it was almost like 50 50 to me people who are like you know, I, I really don't like Face Up. It's the worst ever. It reminded me of months ago when we were defending dog years. And um, so I put a Twitter poll out there where you can vote. And I had my followers vote. If you had to defend one of these songs, if, if you know, this one or that one, which one is better? Dog years or Face Up? And Face Up killed. Face Up, like, absolutely blew dog years out of the water. So I guess, you know... We learned that Face Up does have some supporters, but we're still we're still trying to get people on board with dog ears somehow. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks as well. But this week we're talking about counterparts, and I'm bringing in somebody you guys have heard of recently. Or I should say heard from recently, and that's Doug Laidlaw. How's it going, Doug? Hey, great. How you doing, Jay? Good. Uh, let me just uh, fix our mixer issue. Uh, go ahead and say that again. Hey, Jay. How you doing? <laughs> there we go. Now I got you. Cool. So, um, is is Counterparts a big album for you? Yeah, it was my best year. It was my sophomore year of college, and I listened to it more than anything any other album that year. I remember getting it at a midnight sale. So, seeing it, you know, them in tour that year was a very big album, and all my neighbors were, you know, heard it heard it a lot that year. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm a Rush fan in the early 90s and I hear, uh, uh, I almost said animate, but I hear counterparts, I'm very, very happy. <laughs> I am, I'm excited. I'm, we finally, in my opinion, this is the, the big return. And not to say this is a return to anything. Like, this sounds nothing like Fly By Night, for example. You know, what are we yeah. really returning to? Um, it's, it's definitely rock, though. The exactly. other stuff, yep. little adult-oriented, this is rock. That's right. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I said in the last couple of weeks, Presto, Roll the Bones, if those are the latest Rush albums, 
if you know if I'm around in the late 80s and I'm listening, I'm getting pretty nervous, especially when Bones comes out and they really haven't changed it. They maybe even went a bit deeper down that road. I'm I'm getting nervous that this band's never gonna be the band I you know I loved for so long. Not to say those are bad tracks. We we defended them for two hours, you know. Yep. But uh, I'm yes. happy. I'm happy if I'm around in 1994. Correct. Uh, the the video for Stick It Out was on MTV. They had uh, they survived the whole grunge phase when that came along. It wiped out so many bands. So many bands that were kind of big in the 80s. If you didn't change, uh, they were just, the old guard was out and, and all the new guard uh, was in. All that hair metal was, you know, Def Leppard probably sold 20 million albums. In excess, sold 20 million albums. Those guys were gone. Only, you know, Metallica changed and they survived and sold another 20 million. You know, when grunge kind of hit, U2 changed and they sold dozens of millions of albums. Nirvana was the thing. And... Pearl Jam was big, and an old group like Rush, they uh, they were they didn't adapt to grunge or anything like that. But it's surprising that it's surprising that they're still around right now. But they uh, came out of that big change in the music scene kind of unscathed. Mm. It, it's remarkable. And that's for I guys think... who don't try to be cool. It's it's yeah. it blows my mind. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what a band has to do, or any artist, or you know, even in like the politics or anything you want to relate it to, I think you have to move forward and you have to, if you're, if you're unable to change, then you're, you're left to die, you know, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I think about counterparts is that this is the beginning of the sound we still have today. So I think, I think you can bunch counterparts, vapor trails, snakes and arrows and clockwork angels into the same group. Uh, I just totally skipped over Test for Echo. <laughs> I'm, I'm backing up my own theory that, that Test for Echo is the most neglected album, and I completely forgot it, um, <laughs> including Test for Echo. These, I think those albums have a specific sound that we're still kind of in that era. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I was going to say, you must be uh, seeing my screen right now. I was going to say, this... Of uh, counterparts, Tesseracto, Vapor Shells, I, I, Snakes and Arrows. I didn't include uh, counterparts only because that's like the story. But yeah, sound wise, they're all similar. But the four I just mentioned, they're all kind of um, not a bad thing, but I, I, I kind of group them all the same because they're very rock. They have uh, you know hard guitar, the, the sound, not, not the technical stuff. Oh, yeah, some stuff is technical, but just that sound and, you know, it's 10, 11 songs roughly, and there's like a love song and in the pop format kind of that still has that, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, solo, outro kind of format. But there are hints at, you know, more progressive and more of that rush quirkiness mm -hmm. in each. So those four albums, I, I kind of, there's a lot of similarities between them. Of course, someone could argue, oh, this is very different, but you know what I'm saying. You know, they they are kind of that, that new sound, and then everyone back to that lightish, hold your fire, or power, um, presto, or uh, roll the bones kind of adult-oriented you know, lightness, I would say. I think another thing that makes counterparts stand out in the catalog is that we get, we all sort of have had times where we brag to our friends about how you know, oh, my, you know, my band Rush, they don't they don't sing about love or relationships. And while that might not be true, um they do it more directly on on counterparts. I say it may not be true, like of course they've written, you know, Neil's written about that, but it's been in a less direct way. It's been in a Yeah. you know, it's now. sort of yep. disguised a bit. And now we get a little bit less of a disguise. He's not really hiding it anymore. He's coming right out and saying, "No, this is the theme on this record." And oh, yeah. lyrically, we're going to talk about these things. And of course, he does it in a way that is not, you know, it's nothing compared to pop music. And and that's what we're comparing it to. It's like, you know, pop music is all about love. It's about boyfriend, girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. And here we have Rush doing that vibe, that kind of area, but something in a, doing it in a very different way, in a better way. Yeah, the Rush way. So it's very ballsy. And yeah, they have a few songs that has like love in the title. Um, so really no disguising it, you know, and, and mentioning chromosome differences and, and uh, you know, what's going on in um, A Cold Fire. It's clearly so many songs about love and your counterpart. So um, yeah, but it doesn't come off as um, cheesy. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't feel icky, <laughs> you know, it doesn't feel... Exactly. 
And maybe that's a reason that you and I and everybody listening gravitated towards Rush is because that's not the sort of thing we were looking for. You know, yeah. we would rather take the themes on moving pictures. Like those are themes that we gravitate to more so than yep. than love. Like we're not maybe love. we're not in music for the love. Um, yeah, Hell yeah. Well, we love it just in a different way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's get so, going because we have like we got a lot of tracks here, and I want to yeah, a lot, lot of spend some time on them. But real quick, so I think of this album as like the the whole rock thing, and I think a lot of that has to come with it. it, it the sound is incredible. This could be the best sounding rush album certainly among among you know the top but i think it is it could could be the top alex's guitar just sounds beautiful it is he always had effects but they kind of sounded processed and kind of like he put everything through like multiple refrigerators of these 80s kind of very processed sound and and you know literally the sound is processed of course but it just sounds so much more organic and just lively and, and it's rocking. And then Neil, when I think of Neil or describe someone, I always think of those 70s, like huge Tom fills, of, you know, those seven Tom fast fills. This one, it's not much Tom work, and he's he's doing, it's more like the, the hi-hat or ride cymbal at, and, and the bass drum snare back and forth. Again, there's some there's nothing intimidating on, on here. I think other drummers could, who never heard Rush could say, oh, this guy's kind of good. I could you know, play this. They don't know, you know, what the, what are you doing in the 70s or 80s? Um, and I call this my Neil Bell album. He's always hitting these, every song pretty much has this ding, ding, ding kind of thing, which never really heard as pronounced before in the album. So he really was trying to do something different here. So anyway, let's, um, let's get started. Yeah, you know, in a way that drum difference you talked about is sort of like, uh, it's less flashy. It's still Neil Peart. It's still just as technical as we all have come to know and love. Oh, yeah. But it's it's again like the love theme. It's hidden. It's sort of buried on and, and disguised in a way. It's still really like good drumming doesn't always have to be flashy and in your face. It's it's what's happening, you know, rhythmically inside of you that makes it a good drummer or a good drum part. Great point. Great point. So yep. the album opens up with the drums. Uh, and yeah. uh, in the, I want to talk about the bass world for just a second. And animate focuses, or I should say, showcases this bass technique really well. Getty is Getty changes his bass technique a lot on this record, and it's the same bass technique he's been using on every album since. What that has done collectively in the group is open up, especially with Alex, a completely new uh, a, a new door for him to go through. So Alex does not have to worry about um, the rhythmic aspects of his playing because Getty's bass part has become so much more rhythmic. So get, what Getty's done is on this record, especially on Animate, is taken the bass part and really kind of uh, fused it with a rhythm guitar part. So now Alex can be solely lead guitar at moments, and I think this album is... Yeah, uh, it showcases that so, so nicely. But Animate is, obviously, it's sort of like the hit on the record. It's number one where we always expect the hit to be. Uh, and, and it's a song, I think, is it's it's perfectly recorded but takes on a new life live. This has always been one that I thought changes drastically when it's performed live. Yeah, this, this song... Um it's somewhat epic-y, cause, oh, maybe only because it's six minutes, but it never feels that. It doesn't feel long to me. So a perfect combination of, again, I want to use the word pop, but, you know, more easily digestible, to take your term. Yeah. And and having that um, very old kind of school rushness to it. And um, I don't know technically what, what Getty's doing, but, you know, the boop, 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 you know, maybe his right-hand technique. But uh, Alex playing like these nice, it's kind of sounds so nice and full. You know, the, these arpeggios and um, the, these delays and he switches back and forth and you, it's so in your face and, and clear. It just sounds so good. And he gets to the solo and this is the one other that reminds me the most like limelight. It's these long slides and like delays beautifully bleeding into one another. And I've never heard him directly comment about this one, but I think this solo is is like perfect 
and live, you know, the hair stands on the back of your neck. And, well, I think it's uh, perfect, be- and I think every solo is perfect in a very similar way on this record because of the sound and because of this this new space that the bass and guitar are occupying. They're both yeah. in very different places, and like you said, it, it creates these goosebump moments uh, be- because of how beautiful the sound can be with Alex's part. And I think in Animate, the, the bridge and that solo section that you're talking about, they're the peak that's the moment that the song builds to. That's the most important part of that track. So yeah. that's why it's a goosebump moment. You're building and building, and finally you get there. And when they get to the bridge, and Alex is just hitting that one high note as the first note of his solo, and Neil's boom, boom, boom. Oh. You know, it's it's a it's a really really nice effect. And that's also a great example of Getty doing this rhythm guitar sort of thing. Instead of holding these low bass notes, he does what. Uh, some uh, my friend Chad, our correspondent at Rushcast, uh, he calls mashed potato bass. That's how he always described the bass part. And I think it's in Alien Shore. It's, it's okay. kind of like a mashed, mashed potato-y potato. sort of groove, and I think it's a great description. By the way, I, I gotta thank Chad for he, Chad's the reason I think this album is so great. He and he opened my eyes to it, and yeah. uh, I think we all need that at some time or another we need somebody to say yeah no listen like i really like this song or i really like this album and that's all it needs all you need sometimes for for you to change your mind and uh he so i gotta credit him with i remember the day when he said i think counterparts is one of the best and i thought he was nuts (laughs) well this album you know hearing it at first i never had to maybe kind of convince myself like it's rush i think i like it yeah it is good looking for it it's it's good. I liked it. There was no trying to uh, trick myself or listen to more listens. I, I liked it from the get go. As we go through track by track, there are some that uh, you know I'm not. Um, they're not my top top top, but I, I don't dislike anything. So um, everything about this and you know with animate, I immediately liked it. The first five seconds, I was like, this is I'm in for a treat here. We move on to. Um a song that's controversial that I didn't expect would be controversial among Rushcast listeners. Uh, Stick It Out features something I'm thinking about right now. Drop tuning. It's a drop D tuning in the guitars and bass, the guitar and bass, which I think is the first time that this has happened since Between the Wheels on Grace Under Pressure. And that's that's sort of a big chunk of time. But there's a lot, there's actually a, a nice amount of drop tuning on Tess for Echo as well. Uh, we so we see more of it coming up, but it it provides this much heavier sound, even just one whole step lower. Yeah, between the wheels is I, I actually I never even tried to really play that on, on guitar, um, but I, I remember playing Stick It Out on guitar, and it was more it, it was very unique at the time for Alex to do like a like a riff. Sometimes people add it, you know, for like, uh, for chord reasons. And you just hear that lower chord and it, sometimes you play these one bar things or whatever, but yeah, for a riff to be that low, I mean, this is brand new territory. This song, um, I'll cut to the chase. Anyway, it, I, I really liked it at first, but over the, over the test of time, uh, the, the lyric stuff, uh, I'm not crazy about it. So I do see the controversy in it. it it's very like, it's kind of like a, an inner Sandman, and to me, it's like got this riff and, and the structure again: verse, chorus, verse, chorus, solo. Maybe the one thing I'm, that I'm not crazy about, and again, I don't dislike it. It sounds like any band, like a rock band, could kind of do this song. So it doesn't sound sound very Rush-like to me. So if another band could do this well, it's kind of like, eh, I want to hear, I want to hear the the Rushisms more. Um, but again, I, I don't dislike it. But if I uh, if, if you told me they're going to play this on tour right now, I'd say, ah, I'd rather use that space for um, something else off of Counterparts, which I'm glad they did. Yeah. You know, animate. So over time, maybe just that traditional factor. I'm just not crazy about like that that standard kind of that riff. Um, it just I I don't dislike it, but I, I like more of the uh, uniqueness of. of well, if you're listening to, I mean, if you're listening to Counterparts for the first time, and if Animate hasn't convinced you that they're going back to some heavier material, and the second track certainly will, uh, I know a lot of people like Stick It Out for that reason because you know that's the song they point to as the, as a big return to the heaviness. Um, oh yeah, I will say like I agree with you that the 
you know, it's almost like the closest thing that any other rock band could have written that Rush has written. Uh, but the guitar solo is like one of the most Alex Lifeson guitar solos, I think, with dive bombs and, and just that stereotypical Alex feel. Oh, yeah. He's got these quick little shrill things, and he's, he's got so many unique things that you distinguish Alex from everybody else. And, uh, yeah, I totally, totally agree with you. Yeah, I absolutely like the solo. Um, I kind of said this on my last, uh, on the Presto thing, but Alex kind of like uh, from late 80s onward, he does a lot more sounds or adds sounds to the solos rather than just like scales and like technical stuff. He'll throw that in as well, but he, he opened up to like just creating like like sound effects. Like you said, dive bombs or, or these big squeals or, or long, um, you know, things where he's not, again, not playing like a, like a run along, you know, a few strings. So, so this one kind of has everything, but it's very um, uh, characteristic of, of a lot of solos that he's done, you know, in the past 20, 20, 25 years. Yeah. We're talking about solos. Let's move on to track number three, which has just one of the most pedal to the metal solos that we've, <laughs> that we've heard from Alex sort of in yeah, a, in an analog kid sort of sense in the first couple seconds. But th- I think that's one of the big highlights of this track. Yeah, th- this this song is, is probably one of my favorites, and I'm going to tr- contradict myself as much as I'm not crazy about you know the lyrical re- repetition of you know stick it out, which does kind of remind me of face up, same message, stick it out, you know, don't quit or anything like that. Hmm. Uh, it, I don't. It doesn't bother me to say you know cut to the chase as kind of like a, a cliche saying. Um, it doesn't doesn't bother me. I really like this song. This has this. Very simple arpeggiated line with delay. This album, there's a lot of U two-ish edge guitar player like moments to me, and especially this. I mean, Alex plays these complicated arpeggios usually, and this one's kind of like a simple thing. And the solo is awesome. Um, it's just like yeah, very good um, analogy with the analog kid there, uh, playing words there. Um, I just love it. I love the uh, syncopation. Um, with, with um, Neil and his, and his bass foot and, and the snare, I think it's really, really, really good. I just, I love the lines, young enough not to care too much. It's like, how does that make any sense? You know, <laughs> but old, old enough to, I, I think it's great. And it just shows their maturity in their, in their songwriting. And there's a lot of different parts in there, actually. And I think Old Rush would have crammed them all into, like, the verse. Where here, each part really is, like, the intro. And then a different, you know, part for the verse. And then, you know, the second verse is kind of different. They're always adding little changes rather than um, cramming them all into one section. Yeah, you're so, seeing them grow as songwriters, right? Yeah, I, I think this song is, is like, perfect. You know, perfect. I think one of the best parts of the track is that they have these stops where the whole band hits a note and holds a chord or whatever. Um, yeah. And it happens a lot. There's a, Going into the second verse, there's a big stop, and we get that intro guitar part again. Uh, yep, yep. those all seem like to me like moments that would not exist if if we had like a counterparts um demo like we have that demo of power power windows where power windows. the arrangements yep. are slightly not you know they're not quite polished yet i imagine yep. they wrote this song and there was a point in time where those didn't exist yet and once they inserted those they went bingo that's what this song was missing because that those add a lot to the to the texture uh yeah good yeah, the mood, the the um, just the ups and downs, the the flow of the song. It's just again, I can't say it enough. It's like they got it here. They they got it. You know, as a rock format, as like a perfect song to listen to. Interesting parts, and even that um that production thing with the um kind of like the filtered, you know, cut cut and with the with the little tom work and all that stuff. Right. It doesn't. It sounds awesome to me. Uh, I I I like it. There's nothing I I have no no bad things to say or, or, or no um you know, second guesses about this song. I had also thought that it was, you know, I, I had considered Roll the Bones and Presto to be like the lowest in Getty's vocal register. Like he didn't sing very high on those a- albums. Uh, and then in Cuts to the Chase, I think he can, I think Getty can look at that song and go, and look at it as a sort of milestone vocally. I think it has some nice vocal moments in it and, and definitely some high moments which I guess in 1994 would be like a flashback for people. They probably think that's all that's gone forever, you know? 
Yeah, yeah, no more, no more screeching. I haven't, I didn't uh, pay attention much to the vocal thing, but other than it, it all sounds good and it, and there's, um, it, yeah, a nice, um, you know, smoothness to it. So I yeah, think the majority, the majority of the people in the Rushcast community agree that this is a great song that deserved to be to be played live at some point in time. Yeah, there's, there's, it's catchy. It's great for the rock guys and for you know, my wife would like it. You know, it's um, it, it's got a lot of, you know, promise for for everybody to to like. You know, we move on to nobody's hero, and this is a track that I thought for sure we were going to hear on R forty. Or not for sure. I I thought it, there was a good shot, and I would have liked to have heard it on R forty. Yeah. But it, another yeah, great track. This is a track that reminds me of the pass. Yeah. I think I said in Presto, the past is like an acoustic song. No, it's not acoustic-y, but it's, it's heartfelt and has those light guitar. But this, you know, is an acoustic guitar song. Um, I remember it's got like this F, and you have to play the F in it. Like um, It's like a barred C chord, which was kind of unique. To play, you usually play like these bars, like A and, and E variations. But this one, to play like a C chord with, with, like a, with a bar was like challenging at first because it was just so... Uh, unique, but you needed that to play the song. And one thing, you know, as a non-professional guitar player, but I've been playing for many years, I didn't realize, like, I can never get it to sound that way, And because this song has this Nashville tuning where he kind of replaces the low strings with um same notes, but like higher, um, higher pitched, mm-hmm. like thinner strings. So that was like, aha, that's why it is. But the sentiment of it, um, I always liked it. You know, it's, I'm surprised there's not other songs about this topic, about, you know, the real heroes are not, you know, someone who could score a touchdown or a slam dunk. It's, you know, the doctors who, you know, look for a cure for cancer, someone who saves children, um, real people who, who, who save people every day. Um, I think the structure of the song was unique, and I like uh, how they took this, this chance and, you know, the title, Nobody's Hero, and the word nobody is kind of like in the verse or pre-chorus, but the whole chorus starts with hero. So it's not like the, co- the chorus starts with nobody's hero. It starts with hero, and then it, then it kicks in. So interesting structure. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to hear like them say, like, let's try this. And again, it just shows the maturity of them as songwriters through the years to say, what if we play with the structure around and see what that will do? I'm sure there's outtakes where they didn't where they did have it as part of the verse and or wholly as part of the chorus. So um, I really listen to it now as a mature listener, where as a 18-year-old, I was probably just, you know, listening to, like, musicianship. So beautiful song. I never heard one bad thing about it. Yeah. Um, it is funny to hear try to rhyme. What rhymes with sexuality? It's like, that's a lot of syllables in a word. I never had a problem with that or any anything like that. Um, so... Just a a very beautiful song. Uh, the orchestral part is Michael Kamen, who I actually knew later in life because I was a big metalhead and Metallica nut, and he did that S and M Metallica with the orchestra. Sadly, that guy died. Uh, but you know, this predates that work with Metallica's. But uh, now I, I appreciate it more, saying, "Oh, I didn't know that that was the guy who did Metallica later." But uh, I see his, you know, he has a lot of rock work to his um, resume. Sure. So, Really good work by him. Yeah, there are some nice orchestral moments uh, on this. It was another another track I thought they might play on the Clockwork Angels tour with the string ensemble. It would have been perfect. And again, it's it's got that nice, easy message that a whole audience, as more females have have uh, creeped their way into the audience, I think it it would have made giving them more fans, not to say sell out, but it's something that I think um, a more diverse audience probably would have appreciated. Mm-hmm. But again, if you ask me, yeah, I'd rather hear, um, you know, Cygnus X1, but um, for selling records, I-, I could see, you know, this thing being strategically, you know, important for them. And, another, and But I've always, always liked it. Another example of, uh, of Alex playing minimalistically, and I think Alex knew when they were recording this record that he had something he had really like dialed in a tone that was worth noting because uh 
he he plays so simply in this solo. I, I love the solo, and one day I'm listening to it, and I go, it's not even really a solo. He's not improvising. He's not playing anything new. He's really just playing the melody on his guitar with some chords yeah. here and there. Yeah. And that's I all this song it. really needed, and that's, again, what Alex is best at. Yep, yep. Yeah, again, I think sometimes his albums, he's, you know, he's got like a certain sound. This album has the gamut of sounds with those delays, the crunch, these, you know, the acoustic uh, backgrounds, the vapor trails. I, I don't, I think I read he never even had an effect. So it's a combination of just all the amps and the different guitars, which is impressive. And, but this thing, he, it's impressive. Just, just the palette of sounds. I think it's the first one where all the seventies albums, just like distorted guitar, this has got everything. And it's just, can't say enough about the sound of this album. It's just light years ahead of, um, you know, especially like Presto. Uh, Between Sun and Moon comes out and immediately gives off the Stevie Ray Vaughan sort of vibe with that guitar part. And yeah. what comes out of that riff, I think, is a is a a song that paints a nice picture. I'll be honest, this song, I have no clue what it's about. <laughs> the aha, yes to yes, why the sun? <laughs> I don't get it. But that guitar stuff, yeah, I read kind of like um, you know Rolling Stones or Keith Richards and and yeah, I, I hear that honky tonk uh, woman thing or beast of burden kind of thing. But actually, when I when I heard that, I said, you know what? It sounds more like Mark Knopfler to me, the guy from Dark Straits, which is like you mentioned it last week. I'm screaming at the phone. I'm like hybrid picking when you kind of use like, your fingers, you know, in the pick, or you're just you know you're you're picking two non-adjacent strings or, or adjacent at, at you know at the same time. And that's what I hear. He's playing with his thumb and his pick or his fingers on on that on the riff. Um, Again, I, I love Neil's foot, what he's doing, and, and the bounce in the song is it like immediately apparent with with you know the bass and everything. It just seems so fun, and it hits you again right out of the gate. Um, a little Tom work, and when I said you know I was thinking Neil's like this big Tom roll guy, but this is approachable Tom's. There's nothing crazy. It's he's just adding color in the in the chorus or the or the you know the non verse stuff. Just a really fun song with a lot of parts. It opens up. Neil goes crazy with with the again the bell on his uh, on his ride cymbal. It's just a a really cool song. Uh, you mentioned you didn't know what it was about. It's uh, it's based on a poem called that I knew. Uh, yeah. Between the Sun and Moon by Pi. I don't know if I how to say this guy's name. Pi Dubois, who who yeah. co-wrote Tom Sawyer and actually something else on this record. What was it? Um, another one I know. Uh, like, Force you know, ten as well. I yeah, thought, yeah, I thought there was one on counterparts, okay. but um, I think this is the only one on counterparts. I could be wrong, but I know definitely he did. Yeah, Tom Sawyer, Force ten. But I think there's only one on this song, so I think that's it. But you could be right. Oh, contributing composer with Tess for Echo is what I wrote. Uh, okay. And Tom Sawyer and Force ten, and of course the um, the poem that this song is based on. Uh, I like the sort of breakdown groove before the guitar solo. And of course, yeah. then this guitar solo shows up and it's sort of based on chords. There's not much, uh, there isn't much single note movement in it. Again, it, it sort of expanding Alex's palette. Yeah, yeah. He's got this little slapback echo, that countryish style. And again, I have to say, it really sounds like, you know who Mark Knopfler is, right? For like Money for Nothing, Dire Straits. That's what it, it really sounds like. And I'm like, wow, it's, I never heard that sound or that style by Alex before. And um, again, I think this guy could hear one take of a song and say, yeah, I got already have a, an idea for a solo. And I'm sure they get better technically and there's parts or for whatever, but um, his rough takes are just like always pretty spot on. Yeah, I would say he's got to be in the top of the top of the business. What what his creative mind, how his mind works, it's just oh, I would love to, I would love to uh, be there and just watch him just rip off these takes. <laughs> we get to the the song that was immediately my number one when I when I got this album. Uh, Alien wow. Shore was far and away that my number one. That that was the one I listened to the most. That was the one I loved immediately. Um, and we've had a lot of discussions, actually, Chad and I have had a bunch of discussions about how, you know, we want to hear it live, but the more I think about it and the more I really analyze it, the more I realize it's not going to be played live because there's a lot of layered guitar parts. And if you imagine one guitarist trying to play all those guitar parts, there's a lot involved. 
So I understand yeah. why it's never been performed, but it's such a killing tune. Yeah. Again, I described there's a lot of bounce and groove in a lot of these songs, like between Sun and Moon, Alien Shore, Touch of the Chase. There's some similarities, but it's got this beautiful sounding guitar. I probably said that eight times already, hmm. right from the beginning. And it's like these chords, and it's kind of like um, um, a little like Red Sector A, kind of little, these like triad kind of things. And then it immediately kicks into this space ages, space ageish like delay part. And it sounds like, it doesn't sound like they're underwater sound wise, but you get this image, you know, it's called Alien Shore. It's, I could see like a video of them underwater. And I hope they didn't think about this. Like, hey, let's, let's pretend we're mermaids or whatever, but it's just got this incredible mood. And again, that sound, I just, I love it. Um, again, this is a song, you know, you and I strangers buy one chromosome. So, you know, I was just taking high school, uh, biology and stuff. I said, okay, man and a woman, uh, kind of fits into the theme. And, um, you know, it's kind of like Neil's expressing his political or his views, and it's kind of like, you know, I'm a man, you're a woman. We're we're different. It is what it is. We don't need these formal, societal, stated differences and ultimately, ultimately like these legal differences between us, like forming this barrier. It's like everybody's different. You look at them. So who cares if you're a man and a woman? It, it, you know, you and I, you know, we agree, but that's just us. We're very unique in this world. Um, awesome song. Awesome song. I think that this song has the energy we expect from the best rush songs that have, you know, the energy that the best rush songs in the past have had. And that's why we all love it. So, you know, immediately it's also heavy. And I think, uh, like our buddy, Jeff Garrett is, we've been talking on Twitter all week about how he doesn't like stick it out. And, uh, he's, he's the guy who likes the, you know, the songs that get less love in general. He likes the lighter end of the spectrum when it comes mm-hmm. to high energy tunes, but I, I would be, I would bet that he likes Alien Shore much better than he likes Stick It Out, and probably because Doug pointed out, I do. Uh, yeah. Stick It Out is a song that is a heavy song that is probably furthest from that, farthest from that Rush energy. While Alien Shore just feels like a Rush song. It's heavy. It's it's big. It's fast, but it feels like Rush. Absolutely, great. That's a that's a great. I couldn't agree more. It's also a heavily layered song. There's a lot of electric guitar layers. There's a lot of there's acoustic guitar on top of it. There's a touch of synthesizer behind it. There's a lot going on. Yeah. How do you like the baseline? That little Oh, it's amazing. That, I mean, that was yeah. another reason that I I was attracted to it because it was such a different baseline. Uh it showcases that mashed potato sort of thing. <laughs> and uh, I never heard that word. You know, no, and you listen to it. Getty, it's all Chad, it's not me. You listen to Getty right. in interviews about that album, and he's uh, talking about, he's doing his, what I call the flamenco technique that he's been doing, especially on Vapor Trails through Clockwork. But he's also palm muting at the same time. So what you get is instead of that twang, twang, twang that he normally gets, it's like yeah, a, a muted, it's such a choked sounds. sound. And that's yeah. the mashed potatoes or whatever Chad wants to call it. Yeah. Interesting thing when I was... Um researching again I, I knew these songs backwards and forwards growing up um i've heard every rush song you know 180 times more uh but i did you know quick search and i found something you know rush alien shore and it's this other interesting thing came up there was some canadian band called platinum blondes if you saw an album cover you would say oh my god it looks like canadian version of duran duran or whatever and alex played uh guitar solos for them on an album called Alien Shores. So oh, man. Like, Whoa, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that, you know, I don't know if he came up with that title. I'm sure Neil Neil did. Or maybe Alex even forgot about this. I Honestly, I never even knew this. Uh, but anyway, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, we're moving on to track number seven, uh, which is a song that I think more than any other song went from the bottom to the top for me. I did not like the speed of love for a long time um i'm the opposite yeah i i just i I didn't get it i thought it was i skipped it every single time i thought why is this on here ruining an otherwise perfect record and i don't know what happened i do know what happened i I was driving to uh, my old school in potsdam from albany new york 
and you had to drive through the Adirondack Mountains. And uh, I drove at night during a full moon in the middle of this huge mountain range. And Between the sun and the mountain range? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, all of the... <laughs> and I listened to this record, and all of these uh, songs sort of resonated with me for some reason Un- in that setting, like a super dark... Like, you don't even... I can't even describe to you what the stars look like up there with no light pollution. And the, and the yeah. moon lighting everything. The lakes were, like you know, had the reflection of the moon on him. It was just such a cool scene. And yeah. um, I, I guess that was just the mood I needed to be in to, or the, the atmosphere I needed and the environment I needed to really understand this song. But it was the soundscapes that are present in the song that resonate with me. It's, it's, not, the, it's not the notes. It's not the riffs. Um, it's not the roles that the instruments are playing. It's the soundscapes as a whole. I think you can look, you can kind of pinpoint that to um, this coexistence between these new synthesizers that we're hearing and Alex's guitar sound. Uh, we heard it a little bit on Roll the Bones and Presto, where those two will combine and act as one instrument and play the exact same part in unison for this amazing wash of sound. I think Speed of Love showcases it better than anything on this tra- on this album. Yeah, this song... Oh, by the way, I used to live in Switzerland, so I know beautiful mountainscapes and, yeah. um, you know, no stars being, you know, uh, man-made light ruining, you know, the, the sky. So I know where you're coming from. Uh, honestly, this probably could have been my favorite, and I think, again, growing up as an 80s child, and my first favorite band was U2, the early stuff, by the way, and that was they were a much different band. And hearing that, um, you know, maybe a love song, and, and, and then again, a palm-muted, delayed kind of sound, I I think The Edge kind of has like the, the patent on that. Yes, Alex and Blown out of the water, mm-hmm. technically. But I just think it's a beautiful song. Um, the sentiment, I, and not to make it dark, I was thinking, like, is Neil having a, one of these dark conversations with a, a friend who's going through a divorce saying, speed of love could change? You know, could, when you see a you know a beautiful girl or some people, a, be- a beautiful guy, it's like, whoa, immediately hits you. You know, love could, you know, it's like this cosmic, magnetic um, force but then it could just end quickly as well. So I kind of, you know, he's kind of saying, my heart goes out to you. I'm so sorry what you're going through. Um, this is a song, again, mature. I don't think, I think this is like a topic they've covered before with this love, but if they did it on Hold Your Fire, I don't think it would have come off nearly as beautiful. There's like this beautiful restraint to this that um, I don't think they could have achieved until however old they were yes. or you know until counterparts until counterparts that's a great point because i think i think this song grooves harder than anything else we've heard in their history it sits it's what we call in like in jazz we call it in the pocket it sits back in the groove it's not in a hurry and like you're saying hold your fire kind of felt like everything was in a hurry not in a bad way but it was it was high energy it was quick it was light but the speed of love is heavy and it yeah, sits yeah. back in grooves um, and I, I think it's, it's beautiful. It's done really yeah. nicely. And that, that's a good point. And another thing, I like what you said about hold your fire and how maybe this wouldn't be so great on hold your fire. Uh, you know, and also like the tone differences aside, yep. I think this song and where it's placed on the album, which is right in the middle, it's in contrast with the rest of the record. It's perfect. You know, it's got, a, it feels a little like everyday glory a little bit. You know, yeah. a little bit of hold fire or cold, <laughs> hold fire, cold fire feels a little bit like it at times, um, yeah. but it offsets stick it out. It offsets double agent and animate. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just, I, I always like this song. And um, again, I think you talked about it before Getty singing, um, you know, at, at this age, you know, he can't sing the high notes, nothing wrong with that. It's just, just different. But I love, I love it. And again, if I were to go back, if you put it on Hold Your Fire, lyrically, beautiful song. Every song Neil's ever written is incredible. But it would have had that more nasally, fast-paced. This is just, they, they just, I think they nailed it. I, I think they they really got it. And um, But I, I guess I can take an outsider's view and say, oh, it's Rush singing about love. Um, I could see, it, you know, the old, you know, or older, you know, 70s, someone who grew up in the 70s era um, saying, it's not my Rush, but... um. That's mature listener. I always liked it. Always liked yeah. it. Yeah. Good. So I mean, this is 
I guess this is what I want to hear from people about is is the speed of love. If if you've if you've had a, a an interaction with this a positive interaction with this song and you want to show some love for the speed of love, um, you should be tweeting about it so we can talk about it. I would love to hear from you. We we'll move on to a very different song. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, people have referred to Double Agent as a song that features like weird time signatures. And what's funny is uh, this it's I wouldn't consider it a weird time signature. It's actually pretty simple, but it's the way that Rush uses this time signature and they've done it in the past uh, that makes it feel kind of funny at first. And we're talking about the the middle section where we have obviously something we're going to talk about is the uh, static voice, the static like talking part. It's not really singing. It's not rapping either. Um, over that part, we're really just in three. One, two, three, one, two. When he says, on the edge of sleep, I was drifting for half the night. That's three. But what Rush is doing is cutting three into smaller chunks, half as small, and making them four and two. So over this three, you get one, two, three, four, one, two, one, two, three, four, one, two, one. And that's a, it's sort of an unconventional way to play three, a slow three, four like that. Um, so it's cool that they can even take simple time signatures and make them more complex. Yeah, when you say three, I automatically think waltz, and I'm like, this song doesn't feel like a waltz. Exactly. But, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's you're great, you're dead right. You're you dead on. A waltz is the is the normal three, which is a one two three one two three one. That's not what we're getting. Not at all. Not at all. So I was gonna say this song. If you gave someone this album, they never heard a rush or anything like that. They you know, tracks one through seven, it's like, oh, it's like a, a rock album, you know, rock band. This is, you know, good stuff. And then you hear this one, and this is the first time I would, it would like confuse them and say, what is this? And it's like, that's Rush. Like, it's it's got this quirkiness, unorthodox, the structure, you know, the, the different sounds, Getty sounding almost like a, um, it reminds me like he's like locked up in jail and he's behind like the thick plane of glass talking to someone on the phone and he's like caught between the darkness and light. It's just, and then it just changes. So this is the song that I really, I think brings back like, again, that unorthodox rush. And the first time listener would say, what the heck is this? I don't know if I like it, but it's like, I'm really curious. And you know what? I will, I do want to go back to their back catalog and, and dig it on up. Um, so this is um, a very interesting song. It's just wacky, but, but very good. It's a song that I always, thought was on test for echo like if before i knew the the track order and things like that really well i would always kind of remember oh yeah this is on counterparts why am i looking on test for echo for this track um and i think that's because of the drumming the drumming is i think uh a glimpse into the future it feels like a test for echo the whole song feels a little like test for echo for me but i think the drumming specifically is uh, leaning towards what he's going to do on the next album. That's a, that's a great uh, uh, observation. I didn't get that, but I'm like, you know what? This guy's totally right. <laughs> so <laughs> good. That, that, that's great, Noche. Um, yeah, it just it almost didn't even feel like a song to me. I mean, obviously it's music and song and chords and drums and bass vocals, but it's like a it's it's not a it's just so strange and it's again that word like sinister to like happy and. And then it's it's like loud and um, it's it's just so different. And I, this is a song that, again, I can't see anyone ever being able to do this other than Rush. Mm-hmm. So this is clearly Rush. Move on to and, one of you know an instrumental that Neil said at one time was their best, and that's leave yeah, that thing um, alone. A song that was one of the first things I wanted to play on my bass because, um, and by the way, in regards to Double Agent. Um, as a growing bass player, I would always pick the flashiest bass parts, the songs with the best bass lines to play and to learn. Double Agent was a song that I went back to later, years later, like in a time where I had abandoned playing Rush on my bass because I, I just thought I had played every bass line I could, you know, that I thought I wanted to play. And so one day I'm just like sitting down on my bass playing Rush and I'm like, let me try to play Double Agent. I could not believe how um how much fun that bass part was it's actually pretty challenging to play uh and it's a blast 
but it's not a well, song that feels like it has a great bass part at first. But I was wrong. A song that does have a great bass part right up front is Leave That Thing Alone, where the bass is just the feature. But for whatever reason, there is like there's like one little note in the bass part that Getty changes live that I like better. And the song as a whole just takes on this new life live and becomes a monster of its own. Yeah, um, as as a you as a bass player, me as a guitar player, that that bouncy bass line is just like wow. Uh, not to spoil the um, mood or um, the uh, the way the the flow of the show. Real quick about Double Agent I, on the, on the liner notes, it says you know backup keyboards. This guy John Webster. So I looked it up. Guy's done a lot of film and TV stuff, and one movie I couldn't help but uh, notice it is called Anywhere But Here. And I'm like, did he? And this is well after Counterparts. I'm like, did he steal that from them? I'm like, does Rush know about this? Um, anyway, wow. so back to leave that thing alone. Yeah, I think after YYZ, this is this is the, the best since YYZ. I mean, it was huge news when uh, Where's My Thing came out, and it's a beautiful landscape. But this song has like those classic kind of like YYZ and what you hear later in um, uh, what's it called uh, on Snakes and Arrows. Can't think of it. Uh, you know, that interplay with, like, gay Main monkey business, right? Lines. No, or, no, no, uh, malignant, no. malignant narcissism. Malignant narcissism, yeah. And uh, so the, the bass line, and Alex doesn't have those YYZ moments, so it's beautiful stuff. And then, like, the classic Tom Phillips, this song is, uh, it's probably got to be their most fun um, instrumental to play. And it really, when this came out, it, it's always been, you know, in their uh, in their live set. Yeah, I, I think maybe one or, or maybe tops two tours they haven't played it or whatever but this one i think they love and no one ever gets tired of it some uh, some weird time signatures happening as well in the second part of the track that goes very similar to the last track we're in three one two three one two three but it's broken up into four and two one two three four one two one two three four one two and it feels like a weird time signature and coming out of that i think we get a big seven Oh, no, it's another it's another six. It's like the same thing. There's a lot of like technical things happening, but it still makes for like a easily digestible song. It's just very heavy in, in many uh forms of the word. Yeah, I think I think they really found magic on this one. Like YYZ, it's it's just like I think this one is like perfect. Uh whereas my thing again is is like very pretty and, and nice. Um but this one is like got the punch and, and the flashiness and the um, the crate structure. Looking for main monkey business is kind of like that could have been like a song if they had a lyrics. It's interesting, but this one, you know, for a three three and a half minute song, this one is like is like perfect. Every single part is I want to hear. Um, I don't when they do repeat certain parts. It's like it's the perfect length. It's, again, I, I I just think this one is is up there. I think La Via by itself. Is a different beast because it's you know ten minutes long or whatever. But YYZ and that three four minute structure and this one are, are as good as it, it could get. I think it's worth noting that Alex is playing these Paul Reed Smith guitars at this time, which have a few extra yeah. frets, and he kind of um, showcases that on the, in this solo, which just climbs and climbs and climbs. It gets so high. Um, you can watch him live. He, he goes all the way up to the last fret and even bends that note, I believe, uh, if I remember correctly. All I know is that his Les Pauls don't go that high. They don't have enough frets. So when if they play that live and with their new kind of um, equipment rig you know, yeah. and their setup with their, their current guitars, Alex has to play. <laughs> Alex has to bring out a Paul Reed Smith, which is very rare lately. Yeah, I, you know, I've, I have a few of couple of guitars and I always remember, you know, my strat is like twenty one inches or twenty one frets and my Gibsons are like twenty two and the Paul Reed are very expensive and um I I, I don't recall but I, it might have twenty twenty four frets. It is, yeah it's twenty four. Uh, but yeah beautiful beautiful guitars. Beautiful guitars. Um you know it's weird when they play it live, Alex, you know, guy's a pro, it's almost like it sounds like he's struggling with the delay at first. It, it's weird how it kinda like comes in and I don't know why it just doesn't come. He doesn't start right out of the gate. Like oh, at the top of the tune. Like, yeah, it's always yeah. like yep. it's either like faded in 
It's almost like, what's the del- what's the delayed time I want to get? I, I don't know why. Again, I, I don't think he's struggling at all, but it kind of sounds like he's still trying to figure out, um, you know, what's going on. Um, but nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that's I mean, like a difference. Yeah, it's always interesting when they change the form of tunes from the original recording live. Um, Animate's another one that they change the form of. If you if you map it out on paper, we're like, okay, there's a verse, then there's a chorus, or or you could do it A B, like this is the A section, this is the B section. Um, it's a bit different yep. than the the studio recording. All right, let's keep yeah, going. Yeah. We're uh, we're almost out of time. We have cold fire. We have cold fire. A song we've we've talked at like great length, um, a few months ago about how great this track is, and it features sort of this new, um, lyric writing style from Neil. Yeah, this is very unique, uh, the, the structure of the, the style. And honestly, this song was a, kind of like a single. I never heard it on the radio. Uh, this one I never, personally, never was one of my favorites. Again, I don't just like anything by Rush. But this one, um, maybe I'm different from the community. Everyone really seems to like this one. I, I don't just like it, but um, I do like it. And it's, the more I listen to it, I, you know, I appreciate it more. It's got a very long solo, which is unique. And maybe, uh, maybe I'm not... A, appreciate it as much because it's kind of like a very dry guitar tone i think if they maybe did add a little more effects it would be interesting but it is um it still is interesting of course and i'm glad that he kind of like lets it go for uh, so many bars it's not like your 10 15 second solo it's like long and he keeps adding all these parts and um it is it is funny and um how how Neil adapted to this and it, it does work well, you know, Getty singing, you know, back and forth, like this is not a love song, you know, this is a fantasy land and it, it's a, it is a, a very catchy song. And I think someone who doesn't know Rush or is used to that radio format would appreciate it and like it. So kudos to them. They did a good job. I just think the best part is in that long solo, it echoes the, the writing style of the lyrics where he has two different tones and two different registers of the guitar that seem to be talking to each other or arguing or, or whatever it may be, some sort of conversation within one guitar part is a is a such a nice effect to hear Alex employ. Yeah, it's it's almost like he beauty of Alex must be his right hand. It kind of sounds like he's adding like you know, I think of like when you add talking back and forth, you, you kind of like play with the wah pedal and he gets kind of like a wah sound, but without a wah. So I know exactly what you're talking about, where it is that back and forth conversation, and you hear that wah, 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 but it's not a wah. I'm like, this guy's just, he just always like blows yeah, my mind. Yeah, and you nailed it. It's his right hand. Like, you can you can play on different parts of the strings. The closer you are to the bridge, closer you are to the fingerboard, makes different sounds, and it, it is all about touch after all, so, and we know he has that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, is, is Everyday Gloria a, a big song for you? Is it is it a song that you like a lot? Yeah, I'll go back to that whole U2 kind of thing, and uh, it's happy and upbeat right out of the gate, and I always liked it, and I could see people saying, oh, it's so poppy. I love the delay stuff. I think I'm su- I'm a sucker for delay. I think uh, if you're my psychiatrist, I like the delay stuff. Um, and I love the chorus. I don't think it's a good... We always talk about it, you know, prelude to the next album. I don't hear that on this song. Mm, I do yeah. hear it as different from every other song. Um it's very radio friendly, but not cheesy at all. And I say this before, but this is the moment of all Rush moments vocally when he's at the very last time he says, you know, everyday glory. I'm not going to sing it here. So you welcome everybody. <laughs> I always get, I literally get goosebumps. You know, it's just, yeah. you know, he sings it high in the register and I'm like, oh, just the emotional impact like gets me. And I, I love the structure and the delay, how he's like palm muting and then slightly less palm muting and playing around with it. We talked about it that uh, you know Neil on that 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 um, little pattern, dun, 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 you know that's it is like memorable, but I wouldn't characterize this as like um, classic uh, Neil. This it. song reminds me of the Speed of Love a bunch because number one they they have a similar vibe, but uh, number two it showcases this thing in this thing from the Speed of Love this lead guitar sound, single notes covered in delay, covered in chorus. That yep. in conjunction with the like partnered up with that synthesizer, that very light, subtle synthesizer makes this incredibly uh, goosebump worthy moment in the guitar solo. And again, it's not even it's not the most like solo y <laughs> solo, if that makes yeah, any yeah. sense. 
Um, he's yeah. really just playing very melodically, and it's just so perfect. Those high notes in that solo that he comes out with right away are that's sort of that moment for me. You said it's that last um, vocal line, and I totally yeah. buy that too. I totally understand. I think this is a song that needs to be talked about more. Like it is, you said it's not cheesy. I think in a way it is kind of cheesy, but that's not a bad thing in an, any. You know, sometimes the word cheesy is always a negative thing, but yeah, um, yeah. I think it it's, is kind of cheesy. It's just a, a nice. It's thing. a happy song, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I always liked it. So you can call me cheesy then. I really I, like. It. <laughs> I do think it ends the album nicely, but I agree with you. Uh, and, and also, I don't really mind the fade out. Like I, I like to kind of poo poo oh, fade, fade out. outs, you know. But I, <laughs> I don't mind it in this one. Yeah, no, me neither. Me neither. Uh, but I don't like you said. I don't think it really predicts what we're gonna hear on Test for Echo. I think Double Agent does that the best, just for me. Just, that, and I'm not even sure how to like uh, describe why that's a thing. I just think it feels like Test for Echo. That's again what I said ten minutes ago. I think I think you're right. Yeah. So I mean, this is this is just my my favorite one of my favorite albums, and it's an album where when I get to the end, if I'm listening to a CD like in my car, my CD player will automatically go back to track one, and I don't mind listening to it again like right down. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I don't skip anything at all. Not actually, I never skip any Rush song. So, uh, but I think just the sound and it's there's a reason why I played it all the time in 1993, 94. Um, saw it live. Again, I grew up in New Jersey, so I saw this in New Jersey. I'll never forget the opening band was this grunge Seattle band called Candlebox, which was like maybe the oh, seventh yeah. most popular Seattle-based band. Yeah, uh-huh. and I, I feel bad pointing this out, but the singer fell during the um, during their set and tried to make it look cool, so sang on his back. But that's what I remember. He got the guy fell, but um, uh, I, I loved it. They started Dreamline, uh, the whole nut and bolt thing. Uh, they shot the rabbit from like Presto. It was uh, really cool. The trees, I'll never forget the trees and the analog kid. I, I can remember that. Like, oh my God, it was, uh, those are like my favorites, I think, from there. And hemispheres, absolutely hemispheres. You know, I don't think the, tour. yeah, I mean, that was a, a rarity in 94. That was even a probably bigger deal than uh, R40's recording of it. Uh, I wish that that tour were better documented. There's, of course, there's bootleg recordings, but I wish there were just more pictures of. I want to see the set. I want to see what that tour felt like. And there's really, in my opinion, from Presto to to I'll even include Test for Echo, even though different stages exists. Um, there's not a ton of material out there just to see what all that felt like for somebody who was a tiny little kid who wasn't going to rock concerts when those tours were happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no official DVD or VHS. From yeah. I'd, I'd even take a, a, like a book or like a, some sort of magazine release like they did with clockwork, uh, yeah. if you, you know, where you just get to see, the there must've been an yeah. official photographer and I bet power windows dot net has a nice uh whatever there is out there i'm sure they've got it but i don't i still think there's not enough yeah it's a good point well so this is the first album and i kind of said it last time or whatever that i bought the cd first so this album um visually you know the nut and bolt is probably the most minimalist album cover since like signals but it works i never had a problem but i i do prefer like that whole power of power windows or permanent waves like removing pictures like what's going on in the background or something like that um but the the concert was great and it's the last concert where they had openers yeah. so you know when you get to different or test for echo and stuff it's i believe it with rush three it was hours. it was primus right wasn't primus the last group to open for them uh i i think i i know they i never got to see primus open for them uh but i know they did on this tour but again i yeah. had to see candlebox and um Mr. Big on like Roll the Bones and stuff, and that they were like Presto as well. So I saw a lot of Mr. Big, <laughs> uh, but I, I never got to see Primus and you know Let's Get Claypool. Oh is my it... God, is there anybody you know other than like Getty who I'm like or Flea? I'm like, yeah, that, I have to admit that guy is freaking incredible. Is uh, there any? But, uh, this might sound like a stupid question. Is there any yeah. part of you, any little tiny fraction of a percent? That wish that kind of liked having an opening band at a Rush concert. No, no. no. Honestly, <laughs> I I love. I wish every band did this. 
Um, yeah, doesn't it kind of feel weird now? Like other bands have opening groups, and you're like, why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the the last U2 tour actually had no opening band. I was like, hey, finally, you know, yeah, twenty right. years after like Rush started it. Uh, but other than uh, you know, the best opening band I thought I I saw Muse before they became like big in America. They were big in Europe. I was like, who the hell is this? I'm like. I don't know who they are, but I like them. Again, they were huge in Europe when I was living there, but no names over here. Other than that, I, I don't really um, care for it. And, you know, the quality of sound back then, if you know the songs, it's very hard to know the lyrics. Yeah. It's like, I have no clue what they're saying. It's kind of muddy. And um, I just want to hear, you know, my favorite my favorite band. Uh, but I did appreciate Mr. Big. I remember Paul Gilbert brought out the, the drill on his guitar. and You know, Billy Sheen is a monster and a half on the bass. Um, I got some cheesy songs, but um, I appreciate the musicianship by those guys. Yeah, but so do we. <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah. But I like, I, I want to see my favorite band. I've never seen like a double bill. I, I, I don't really go for like, you know, I, I can be an elitist. I just want my, my band to play. Right. Uh, all right. Hey, man, we're running out of time here at the studio, but all thank right. you. This uh, this was um, a, a good addition to me babbling about how much I love the album. So thank you so much. Awesome. Me too. Thank you so much, Jay. Doug Laidlaw, and uh, send me your tweets about the speed of love. I want to have a conversation about that song. We don't think we, I don't think we talk about it enough. And uh, we will be back next week with not the album that you think. See you soon. Bye.